The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read verses 4 through 7. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things endures all things. So when you come to a passage like 1 Corinthians 13, and you see these descriptions of love, there's um, a sense where a text like this should be provoking us to grow. You can't read 1 Corinthians 13 and not conclude, I have to grow. I've got a lot of growing up to do. And as I was thinking about this this text today, and we're going to focus on love is kind, I started thinking about why it is so many Christians, many of us, included, don't grow like we ought to grow. Why am I not more kind today than I was five years ago? And I have three things that came to mind, and hopefully if any of these fit, God will help us to see. First of all, we're not good at being honest with ourselves. We make excuses. We we rarely say, you know, I'm just not a kind person. We say instead, well, I'm kind to that person, and I'm kind to that person, while ignoring my lack of kindness to that person, that person, that person, that person, and that person. Sometimes it's just, it's just flat out hard to be brutally honest with ourselves because it can be incredibly painful. We're not as good as we think we are. Second, if we do have the courage to say, you know, I'm, I'm not a kind person, and then I say, oh, I feel really bad about that. I feel so convicted that I'm not a kind person. 
I own up that I am just a class A jerk. And I feel so bad about it. Somehow, we tend to think that conviction is enough. Somehow, we we tend to think that because I feel bad about it, that that's enough. I'm convicted, I feel guilty, and then we say, you know, Lord, forgive me for not being a kind person, and then we just go on our way until we're unkind the next time. It's not a very good pattern, but it's certainly common enough. Third, oftentimes we actually do not use the means of grace that God has given to us to put off and to put on. And so the the Spirit of God could put his finger on something in in our life and, and we confess it and we see its ugliness and we feel conviction for it and... And yet we don't then follow up by putting any effort into growing like we should. Let me just make a footnote comment. Okay? Even in certain Reformed circles, there's this idea that, that somehow effort is a bad thing. You've not learned to just kind of relax in God's grace. If you're not, if you, if you're trying, God forbid we should try. And somehow we think, well, grace, you know, just rest in grace, and that's that's awesome. And you know, by the way, there's a there's a tendency. I was thinking about this today. There's a tendency of preachers who preach sort of an easy grace. These are the guys that often end up falling. And a message of easy grace sometimes is nothing more than a salve to their conscience until they're caught. So we don't put effort in. And so oftentimes, you know, we, we realize, okay, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I keep confessing the same sin over and over and over again and of course we are we are eternally grateful for the fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains and i know that i cannot exhaust the grace of god i cannot wear out god uh, he is a fountain of mercy and when i come to him i have the confidence that for christ's sake he forgives me but here's, here's the reality. The gospel is not just about being forgiven of our sins. The gospel is also about being transformed into the image of Christ. And so, how many times in our Christian life 
have we thought, there is an area in my life where either I need to grow or I need to kill that sin. And so I'm going to memorize two or three passages in, a, in, in an effort to fight the fight of faith. How often have we found ourselves actually praying earnestly? God, help me to be kind. Whatever whatever the, the issue or the case may be, just actually just pleading with God to change our hearts. We can can pray about these things, but I wonder how often have we prayed until we've prayed about these things? How often have we just cried out to God with a sense of desperation, help me, teach me, teach me. Does not God actually tell his children repeatedly, I will teach you, I will lead you in the way everlasting. So these are things God's already said he would do for us. Maybe our lack of growth is just simply uh, you have not because you ask not. When was the last time we prayed, God, help, help me, help me to hate the unkindness that's in my heart? Help me to see it like you see it. How often do we use the means of meditation on God's word or on the character of God in order to to be transformed? So here's my assertion. Um... If you're in Christ, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, that is, every blessing of the Spirit in the heavenly places. And you have been given. So you're ready for this is what you've been given. All things pertaining to life and godliness. So... Lack of growth in these areas is not because of lack of provision or lack of grace. God, in a sense, abundantly provides for us, but let's face it, he's not going to provide abundantly for those who only desire half-heartedly. So maybe our biggest problem is that there are too many other things that we want instead of growth. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is, uh, is showing us, uh, really if you think about it, it's, so I already said it's not defining love as much as it's describing love, and it's not describing love in a sense as much as it is showing us what application of love to other people looks like. He's showing you what it means to love somebody, right? 
And so, if God is taking this this classic text to show us what it is to love others, there's a sense in which that is uh, unmistakably horizontal, right? So God's, God's showing me through his word what loving people at this, you know, this dimension looks like, but that can never be detached from my union and communion with God vertically. If I'm just doing this, and I'm just, you know, if I'm just being a kind person, and yet my kindness is not actually a direct overflow of experiencing the kindness of God to me, then I just might be a nice person. Okay, so it just reminds you, like nice people go to hell. Okay, so here's here's I know this is like a, a bummer of a way to start, but. You're like, I like to start last week better than this week. Well, I'm sorry. So what I want you to do as we go through this love is kind is actually want you to think about somebody that you're not kind to. And don't make excuses as to why I shouldn't think about that person, right? Because this is what we're good at. Okay, he's telling me to think about somebody I'm not kind to. Um, let's see. Well, I can't pick that person that I go to church with or that person that I, in my family or that per- because I, I've got good reasons not to be kind to them. Okay? Well, stop that. Stop it. And think about somebody you've been unkind to, and just be honest. Somebody, so let me just, you know, maybe let just flesh this out because you're thinking, well, you know, I, I wasn't kind to the garbage man because I didn't give him anything for Christmas. It's not exactly what we're talking about. Think about somebody that you've ignored. Just intentionally avoided. Think about somebody that you've just simply become easily angered with. And, of course, you put it on them because, of course, there would, no, would not be any resident anger in your heart. Think about somebody that maybe, maybe you conveyed the idea to them in word or deed <laughs> that they really didn't matter that much to you. Is this helping? Think about somebody you just refuse to listen to. Think about someone you didn't like for the sole reason that they infringed in your comfort zone. You know, it's easy to not like people like that. Think about a person you've been unkind to simply because you didn't approve of them. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to do, so I'm going to ask you to hold on mentally to that person. And some of you are thinking, okay, well, I, I got so many names now, I can't even keep them all straight. Okay. 
So he's alphabetized them. Okay. Hold on to that person or persons. Just ask God for grace tonight. God, give, me, give me grace through your word. <laughs> we actually believe the ministry of the word is a means of grace. God actually communicates grace through his word. Right? And so, be quick to hear and slow to speak in your heart. Okay? Love is kind. I already told you a few weeks ago that all of these are verbs, actually. So it's not love is kind, but it is love shows kindness. To be kind, to be merciful. By the way, uh, the word kindness in terms of its noun and adjective is used repeatedly in the New Testament. Um, As a verb, it's only used here. So this is the only place in the New Testament where kindness as a verb is used and, of course, the idea of kindness is um, it, it is a moral quality that results in action. Uh, think of it as an attitude of the heart that results in action. Um, the moral quality, which we'll talk about more in a minute, manifests itself by, okay, you ready? So by being useful to somebody or by being benevolent to somebody or by being helpful to somebody or by doing good for people. And here's, here's the irony, and I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to minimize at all the importance of actually being kind to people you don't know, but they're not usually the ones we have trouble being kind to. The noun, as it's used in both the Septuagint and the Greek New Testament, is mostly, like overwhelmingly, used of God, so God's kindness, and of Christ, Christ's kindness. Okay? So there's not, a, there's not a major focus, although we'll see that there, there, there's plenty of texts, right? But the primary focus is on God's kindness to us in Christ. And so, I mean, think about God's kindness for a second. So God's kindness is is his gracious attitude to people who, by the way, don't deserve the gracious attitude. And that gracious attitude manifests itself in action towards undeserving people. That's God's kindness. So this is a gracious disposition that then, in a sense, results in God doing something for us that we don't deserve. So you can think about it this way. So love is patient, love is kind. So God's patience makes him slow to anger. God's kindness is what compels him to do something good to us in spite of what we deserve. So I printed these texts up. Um, actually wanted to see if I could do the logos function. 
um, Jason helped me. So that's why you have text. To, although I think you could have done it more effectively. I, it still took me, I might as well type them out. It took me so long. So Luke 6.35, so, so, so notice this. So, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind <laughs> to ungrateful and evil men. I mean, this is, this is really, um, this, this should astonish us in a sense. We, we get sort of used to, we get um, comfortable with the idea, okay, yeah, God is kind to bad people. Uh, but, but here's the amazing thing is that the very people who defy him, the very people who are ungrateful, just like we've been seeing in Romans 1, what does God do? God just actually just continues to show kindness. Just overwhelming kindness. God is kind to people who wake up in the morning and have no thought of him. And he's kind to people who are absolutely ungrateful to him. And he's kind to people who are, who are positively evil. It's amazing. Romans 2, 4, which will actually be in in a few weeks, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? So what you have here is actually you have the noun and then the adjective both in one verse. And so Paul says, (laughs) I don't want to start preaching Romans 2 because that's would be easy enough right now. But here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, you, you look at this kindness and patience and tolerance of God and the riches of it absolutely undeserved. You take it lightly. How dare you take it lightly? It's not something you should take lightly. And here's the reason why you shouldn't take it lightly. Because don't you know that it's, it's God's kindness that's designed to lead you to repentance. So if you're um, a Christian and you've repented of your sins, um, here's, here's the reality. It was God's kindness that led you to that repentance. He could have killed you. He could have sent you to hell. He could have, he could have done a thousand just things to us. And instead, he was patient, and he was tolerant, and he was kind. And it is that very kindness that leads us to repentance. And Paul says, so how dare you take it lightly? You can't take the, the kindness of God lightly. Romans eleven twenty two. Notice Behold then the kindness and severity of God. So what Paul's doing now is Paul's contrasting kindness with severity. That gives you you a good sense of what kindness is like, right? You know what severity is. To those who fell, severity but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. 
Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Ephesians 2.7, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So here, I mean, just think about this for a second. So how long is eternity? Somebody says a long time? (laughs) Yeah, so eternity is the ages of ages of ages. This is both. Hebrew and Greek way to talk about eternity, ages of ages of ages. And so Paul says, so here's what God's done, is God has actually um, worked in us in Christ Jesus so so that the riches of his kindness would be put on display forever. How important is the kindness of God? God says, I'm going to put some stuff on display for eternity. And one of those things is my kindness to you. In other words, so there you are. Let's say, you know, we sing uh, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. So let's say you've been there 10,000 years. Even after 10,000 years, you're not going to conclude, wow, I deserve to be here. There's going to be this echo throughout eternity that it's only the kindness of God. Titus 3, 4, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. Hmm. When did the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appear? In the incarnation. So the incarnation is the very manifestation of the kindness and love of God. You think of it this way. Jesus is kindness and love incarnate. Now notice, I have another text there that doesn't seem to use the word kindness. Matthew 11.30. Everybody knows this text, I think. Um, You know, this has come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, right? And verse 30 of, of Matthew 11 says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But you know, the word easy there is the same word that we've been looking at again and again and again. I think translators translate it as easy because you're talking about a yoke. But put something else in there for a second. Um, For my yoke is is kind, and my burden is light. So so all of that to say that the Bible is absolutely overflowing with the reality that both God and his Son are incredibly kind to us, and they're kind to us every day, and I dare say that they are kind to us in 10,000 ways that we don't even see. We may see 1% of God's kindness to us. If we had had better spiritual eyesight, we'd see more. It's it's continual kindness. So anybody sin today, just out of curiosity? Okay. All right. (laughs) All right. Matt. 
sin today? He raised his hand. Any? <laughs> yeah, well, we all sin today, right? So, okay, yeah. But we, we knew you did. Um, now, here's the thing is, what did God owe you when you sinned? Depends on what you mean by owe, I suppose. What was he was he obligated to say, Hey, you like to sin, I like to forgive. What a great relationship. Not at all. What did he actually owe you? He owed you justice. You can't owe grace. You can't owe grace. If you owe it, it's not grace. Same with mercy. I owe you grace. Well, that's not grace. It's a wage. Grace and wages are different. So what, we, what God owes us when we sin is justice. That's, that's, our, that's divine obligation. That's just desert. Okay. Right. Well, all of us sin today, and here, yes, here we still are. It's kindness. Kindness. Okay. I mean, how many of us uh, actually just, just like that, confessed our sins as soon as we sinned? Right? Yeah. And you're still breathing. It's kindness. There's kindness in tens of thousands of ways every single day. Every every hour is is is. Nothing less than the gracious disposition of a loving Heavenly Father who dispenses acts of kindness to us again and again and again. If you don't, if you don't know that, if that's not how you think about life, then I, I, I say maybe you're not even a Christian because... How in the world could you understand to some degree the gravity and the magnitude of your own sin and then not see the very kindness of God in giving you his son? Forgiving you of his sin, your sins. The very fact that we are able to sing, there is a fountain filled with blood tonight. Act of God's kindness to be able to Sing the truth of the gospel. So, as is the case with so many of these, not only is kindness a divine attribute, but it is also a Christian grace. So, uh, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness. Colossians 3, 12 to 13. So those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Boy, you see how all those things kind of go together, right? I mean, you can see there's a sort of this, this big group of words, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, 
forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So be kind to one another, tenderhearted. So let me just say three things about the Christian grace of kindness. First of all, it's a put-off, put-on grace. You know what I mean by that, right? Ephesians 4 is put off and put on. In other words, kindness replaces, this is Ephesians 4.31, I should have put that in there for you. Kindness replaces all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and all malice. That's what you're supposed to put off, and what you're supposed to put on is kindness. So kindness is the replacement for bitterness. You see that? Kindness is the replacement for wrath and anger. Kindness is the replacement for clamor and slander and malice. By the way, we're going to see like all these words on Sunday as we look at Romans 1, 29 to 32. They're all ugly words. But here's the reality is that we are to put those things off and we're to put on what? We're to put on kindness. So, you know, in, in, in 25 years of counseling, I don't think I've ever, I might think of somebody later tonight, but I can't remember off the top of my head anybody that has ever come in and sat down and just said, you know what my problem is, is I'm just a really bitter person. That's normally not what people say about themselves. Even the most bitter of people don't usually admit, you know what my problem is, is I'm just a really bitter person. But if you you are a bitter person, in other words, you've got big pockets of pus in your soul. That needs to be put off, and kindness needs to be put on. If you're a backbiter and a backstabber and a person that is a slanderer, that needs to be put off, and kindness needs to be put in its place. If you're an angry person... If you're a wrathful person, you get angry and you can't, you can't even control what comes out of your mouth. That needs to be put off and kindness needs to be put on in its place. Because kind people don't do that. So it's a put-off, put-on grace. Secondly, it's, it's an affectional grace. So what I mean by that is that kindness is not pure act. Okay. Kindness is not just pure act. Kindness is directly connected to being tender-hearted. So... Piper says, Christian kindness is tender-hearted. If the heart is hard on the inside and the manners are meek and polite and helpful on the outside, it's not Christian kindness. 
Just because you go down into the south in the Bible Belt and everybody says, ma'am and sir, and everybody's really polite, nobody goes, whoa, the fruit of the Spirit abounds here. It's just, it's just custom. It's external. It's, you know, now, trust me, I'd rather have a polite society than a rude society, but don't mistake politeness for genuine Christian kindness. Genuine Christian kindness is actually uh, a, a, an affectional grace of being tender-hearted. Okay. So I, I, I hope that a couple weeks ago as we were looking at uh, the remainder of 13, 1 to 3, that the very idea that somehow all that matters is the action is, is, is put to bed because you can't look at 13, 1 to 3 and think the action is the only thing that matters because all the actions in 13, 1 to 3 are right and superlative and yet they're done without love. So tender-heartedness is a part of being kind, you know. Um, so... When I was a kid, we had two priests growing up. And one was Father Vito Mistretta. Okay. He had a leading role in The Godfather, of course. He was, uh, he was Sicilian, full of himself, demanded that everybody called him Monsignor Mistretta. Father Mistretta wasn't good enough. And he was mean-spirited. He was an incredibly mean-spirited person. So imagine here you are is that you're a 10-year-old altar boy. And there's Monsignor Mistretta, and you're terrified. You're terrified as you're serving Mass that you're going to make some mistake. And you knew that a mistake would evoke his wrath. There was another priest. Never knew his last name. He was just Father Joe. And Father Joe, I mean, to the best of my, you know, 10, 11, 12-year-old recollection was probably late 20s, early 30s, kind of chubby, had a pockmarked face. But he was kind. And you knew, you knew one thing about him, and that is that he cared about you. And he wouldn't see your feelings hurt for anything in the world. Who do you think I gravitated towards? Yeah, Father Mistretta, of course. Not at all. The guy that was tender-hearted. Because you knew the tender-hearted guy was going to be the kind guy. Third, it's a spirit-empowered grace. So 
Only the Holy Spirit can help us with this heart transformation. So he conquers the things that need to be put off and he empowers us in the things that need to be put on. And so, so love compels us to do actual acts of kindness to others, to have a disposition to do good. This is what kindness is. Okay? So I have the love of Christ in my heart to do actual acts of kindness to others because I have a disposition to do them good. That's kindness. Jonathan Edwards, by the way, just great stuff on, on this section. He says, we should do good to the good and bad, friends and enemies, the thankful and the unthankful. So one uh, one lexicographer says that the word suggests so it knows warm, generous, the warm, generous welcome the Christian always gives his brothers, and does his utmost to be thoughtful, helpful, and kind, always in a pleasant way, and confirms the ele- element of magnanimity in agape. Right? <laughs> this is a high order, all right. It's a high order. But there's, uh, what is it to be a kind person, to love does acts of kindness? Well, I mean, in, in one sense, it is, it is to have a, a tenderness and a warmth of heart that's inviting to people. I don't want to get close to a porcupine. I'll keep my distance from a porcupine. I'm going to keep my distance from a skunk. I'm going to keep my distance from things that I'm not sure how they're going to respond to me. Okay? Ariel loves cats. I hate cats. So I'll just use a cat story. A cat illustration. She'd be, she'd be proud. She'd be sorry she missed. You see a porcupine and a kitten. Which one are you more prone to pick up? If you hate cats, you're thinking, ah, maybe the porcupine's not that bad after all. But the kitten, because, I mean, here's, you know, or a puppy. Let's do a puppy. Forget cats. Uh, We'll do a puppy. And and puppies are awesome, right? Because puppies, puppies just love you. Right, they're just, and and there's a sense where this um, this just warmth and this tenderness is is the disposition. It's the attitude of the kind heart. Okay. You ever you ever notice kids? Kids are a great indicator of kindness. I don't mean kindness in kids. I mean children's ability to sense kindness. You know what I mean? Who did kids gravitate to in the Gospels? The Lord Jesus. You imagine having a group of people all gathered together in the synagogue, maybe a few dozen, and 
Jesus calls one of the children to come into the midst. You have to feel pretty comfortable with the person calling you to go forward in front of a bunch of adults. Right? That's the Lord Jesus. There's an accessibility. So love compels us to do these thoughtful, God-centered, Christ-exalting, love-empowered acts of kindness. So you have to understand, this should be clear by now, so acts of kindness can't be what the old-timers called disinterested. You ever heard this expression in, uh, in church history, especially some of the later uh, Edwardsians of uh, disinterested benevolence? You ever heard this phrase? Jason, you've heard it because um, you read my paper on it. Uh, disinterested benevolence was the, the ethical idea that, um, that if you take any enjoyment or even any emotion in a good act or a moral act, then you've ruined the morality of it which is actually incredibly stupid. Okay. You know, you understand that's not how God wired us. Okay. So, you know, so Liz makes all the, the lunch for our 25th anniversary, right? So she's got helpers and stuff, but she just goes all out, right? And we go, Liz, thank you so much. That was so wonderful. That was so kind And she said, well, I just want you to know that I took absolutely no pleasure in any of it. I did it out of an absolute sense of duty because you asked me to do it. And, of course, you know, I mean, I'm kind of like feel duty-bound if the pastor asked me to do something. And uh, But I want you to know I didn't enjoy it. So praise the Lord. That's great. No, no, that's 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 ridiculous. So so acts of kindness actually bring us pleasure. Acts of kindness should act, should just bring us a sense of joy and so there's this there's this wonderful sense of 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 acts of kindness being rooted in a in a warm spirit, a caring heart, a glad heart. Acts of kindness don't just happen randomly. Remember that stupid bumper sticker 20 years ago, practice random acts of kindness. Acts of kindness come from a disposition of the heart. It just says, how can I do you good? Now, if we're going to be like God, then, of course, the idea is that we, we're, we're, we're kind to people that don't deserve it. We're kind to people who probably won't say thank you. That's hard for us, isn't it? You're, you're kind to people that may not recognize your kindness. Or fall down on their face with tears of joy that you were kind to them. But that's, it's beside the point, right? We, you know, uh, we're wired in Adam to do stuff in which there's reciprocation. That's my reward. 
So I'm bad at this. I'm really bad at this. So I don't clean the kitchen up very much, but I do once in a while. Okay, I won't tell you how once in a while. But so, so I'll do the kitchen and so unload the dishwasher, do the dishes, and, and Ariel comes home and she walks in the door and I'm standing there in the kitchen, you know, and she walks in and she's like, uh, oh man, what a tough day. And, you know, and I'm like, oh yeah, sorry about that. Uh, uh. And uh, so, did you have dinner yet? Yeah, I had dinner actually. And yeah, I made dinner for myself and, you know, and she's like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to go and change and wash my face. And I'm like, I cleaned the kitchen. Oh, thanks. What do I want? So I want recognition, right? I want, I want my sacrifice to be recognized. Rinsing knives and putting them in a dishwasher could be dangerous. Okay? I want recognition, and that's us. And when, when, when you have a genuinely kind heart, you're kind regardless of, of whether there's reciprocation or not. You're kind whether you think that person's going to say thank you or not. You're kind whether that person is going to honor you or not. You're just kind because that's what love does. It's that simple. So, Edwards again, got to love this. The proper evidence of wishing good to another is doing good to another. I wish you well. Edward says, well, the proof of it is to do something for him, right? Do something for him. So kindness is something that we all struggle with to one degree or another, right? I'm talking about genuine, God-centered, Christ-exalted, spirit-empowered kindness. So how do you grow in it? Some of God's people are not very kind. All you got to do is be a Christian for about 10 minutes and you find that out. But the ones that are kind manifest the aroma of Christ. There's something wonderful. You know, you, you look back at your journey in Christ, and every single one of us that's a believer, every single one of us could do this. I think back, and the people that stand out to me are the ones that were kind to me. Ariel and I are first married. 
there was this couple. They were, they were old. They were like in their 50s. And they'd call us up. Hey, why don't you come over? Have dinner. Absolutely. Carl and Ruth. We still, Carl and Ruth are both in heaven. We still have a picture of them on our refrigerator. That picture is 30 years old. Just a reminder of people who are just kind. Right? Just kind. So how do you grow in this, in this grace? Well, I mean, it's, it, in, in one sense, it goes back to what we were talking about yesterday, so, or last week. So kindness is, is the stream okay, that flows from the spring of God's kindness for us. Okay? That's, that's where it comes from. So one of the ways to kind of grow, and kind of, so, so you've got that person in your head, right, that we talked about at the very beginning. Ooh, right? Oh, you have to bring that up again. I thought, hope, was hoping you'd forget about that. Well, I almost did. You got that person. Just wasn't kind to that person. How in the world do I actually have a change of disposition that manifests itself in a change of action to this person that I've been incredibly unkind to? And I would say that, that, that it starts by meditating on God's unbelievable kindness to you. You know, in all seriousness, how, how in the world can you continue to be unkind to somebody when you stop and consider all the kindnesses of God to you? Okay. I mean, to me, it's like, um, it's like refusing to forgive somebody and then rejoicing in being forgiven. Those, those are incompatible. If I'm a person that rejoices in, in being forgiven and I have a sense of the magnitude of my own sin and what God has done for me in Christ and the, 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 the matchlessness of his sacrifice and his love for me, how in the world can I turn around and say, I am not going to forgive you, right? So it's, it's, it's incompatible, right? In fact, by the way, if this happens, won't forgive you, there's really a calling into question as to whether this has happened. Same thing with God's kindness. How in the world can I be rude to somebody? How in the world can I ignore somebody? How in the world can I be, can I be mean-spirited to somebody? How in the world can I treat somebody as if they don't really matter and I don't approve of them when I stop and think, I've been accepted just as I am in the beloved. You get a hold of that, you'll feel shame for being unkind. So if God can be kind to you, so here's always something good. Here's a good exercise. What would happen to me if God's disposition towards me was like my disposition towards that person? 
Answer, you'd be a small, unsightly cinder. This isn't hard. It's not. So, there's a lengthy quote there from Edwards. I commend it to you for your reading and meditation later. But there's repentance that has to take place. Because maybe that person does stand out to you right now. They've been treated unkindly. That's a sin. It's just a sin. Plain and simple. And so repent. And repentance isn't just telling God you're sorry. Repentance is confession with a resolve to do different. So you repent. You might actually need to go to this person and say, you know what, please forgive me. I've been unkind to you. Then you know what you do? Then you do something kind for them. Simple. Yeah, well, I'm not very good at that. Well... We should be. That's not an excuse. I really wasn't raised like that. I don't care. I mean, you could have been raised by Nazis. I don't care. The transforming power of, of the gospel overcomes however you were raised, however you were taught to treat people, right? There's a transformation that happens, and you've got to own it. Put it into practice. Just do, yeah, call somebody, say, you know what? I was a real jerk to you. Please forgive me. Can we start over? They may not, they may actually have a stroke on the other end of the line and then you send them straight to glory. Nice act of kindness. So shocked. <laughs> Clutching their heart. Years ago, this is, this is a terrible story. Years, <laughs> years ago, uh, I, was, uh, I was preaching. We were at the old building. It was an evening service, and I made some comment, and this guy blurts out, you know, you offended me or something. And uh, so afterwards, I went to him, and I was, I was young and, and, and not very kind. And I went up to him, and I said, hey, you can't blurt out like that in church. That's disrespectful. And he starts arguing with me, and I start arguing with him. And this guy... Uh, I've been closer to being punched in the face, okay? In fact, much closer. But this guy was close. I mean, he he had his fists clenched, and he was ready to punch me. And so uh, he left. He stormed off. And so I I went, and I, I, I got the elders, and I told them what had happened. And as I'm telling them what happened, I realized, you know what? You were a hothead. You... You were argumentative. You were contentious with this guy. And so, so I went home, and I called him. And I said, hey, I wanted to just to talk to you. And, and he starts arguing with me again. And I said, you know, I said, listen, I said, I don't even actually want to talk about that. I want to ask you to forgive me. <laughs> There's this silence on the other end of the phone. 
And then he starts arguing with me again. And I said, no, no, no. You don't understand. I'm simply, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not here to debate this issue. It was uh, over the third use of the law. But anyway, uh, I'm not here to debate this with you. I simply am trying to tell you that I handled it badly. I sinned against you. Please forgive me. And you know what? This guy didn't know what to do with that. He wanted to fight with me, right? And so finally I said, would you please forgive me? (laughs) You can hear him breathing in the phone, you know. (laughs) Okay, I forgive you. I said, thank you. Now, I could have thought, okay, turkey, it's your turn, because you were just as big of a jerk as I was. But you know what? That's between him and God. That's between him and God. I did what I was supposed to do because God had convicted my heart. The guy never apologized. The guy never asked for forgiveness. But you know what? I don't care. But sometimes that's what it looks like. You know? So you try to do something kind to him then. So you give him Calvin's Institute so he reads the section on the third use of the law. <laughs> Love practices kindness. And it practices kindness only because God has loved us and been kind to us first. You lose sight of that, you can be a real grump. You keep keep sight of God's kindness to you every day. Rehearse those things. And you will, in fact, find your heart warmed to even people that you struggle with. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, first of all, Lord. We have tasted and seen the kindness of the Lord. Father, we thank you for kindness to us that stretches back into eternity past and is manifest to us in the cross and manifest to us in, in, in tens of thousands of ways every single day. And it will be the kindness that, 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 that echoes so loudly throughout all of eternity. We'll never forget your kindness. And we pray, O oh God, that you would transform our hearts and help us to be tender-hearted, to have a gracious disposition, and to do kindness to those that we like and those that we struggle with.
And we ask that you would do this in us for the glory of your great name. Amen. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.